How would you like to go up to Japan tomorrow? Paul Tibbetts asked Chuck Sweeney at almost the very hour MacArthur was signing the formal surrender on the Missouri. The next morning, with Tibbetts at the controls, 20 members of the 509th, along with a few scientists, flew to Tokyo in a C-54 transport. They wanted to see Hiroshima, but the runways were in no condition to handle their plane. So after a brief stay in Tokyo, they flew to a field 16 miles from Nagasaki. They were the first group of Americans to visit the area after the bomb blast, and they were not supposed to be there. Tibbets was shocked by the terrible destruction in the Urakami Valley. Block by block had been flattened, as if by a tornado. Strangely, however, there were no bodies anywhere. There were not many people in the streets in the heart of the city. But outside the areas where the damage was heaviest, in the major residential and business districts of the city, life was proceeding in an almost normal manner. The people were polite and didn't even seem to think it unusual that American airmen were there so soon after the long war. Sweeney walked alone to where Ground Zero would have been. 2,000 feet from the destroyed Mitsubishi Steel and Armament Works, in what had been a poverty-stricken community of small homes and industrial plants. Although there had been no firestorm as there was at Hiroshima, the bomb had obliterated the entire industrial valley. Of the approximately 70,000 people who eventually died in Nagasaki as a result of the bomb, about 40,000 immediately. Almost all were from this area. Standing in this tremendous field of rubble and ruin, Sweeney thanked God that it was we who had this weapon and not the Japanese or the Germans. But I felt no remorse or guilt that I had bombed the city where I stood. My crew and I had flown to Nagasaki to end the war, not to inflict suffering. Tibbet's reaction mirrored Sweeney's. He had no animosity toward the Japanese people. He saw himself fighting against an evil system imposed on the people by a powerful military regime. That is why, he says, I have no personal feeling of guilt about the terror that we had visited upon their land. Tibbets has never deviated from that position. Please try to understand this, he told reporter Bob Green, 45 years after the war. It's not an easy thing to hear, but please listen. There is no morality in warfare. You kill children, you kill women, you kill old men. You don't seek them out, but they die. That's what happens in war. Tibbets has no patience with revisionist historians who claim the bomb would not have been used on Caucasians. If the Germans had not surrendered, I would have flown the bomb over there. I would have taken some satisfaction in that, because they shot me up. My instructions were to create an elite bombing force, with the understanding that, when trained, they would be divided into two groups, one to be sent to Europe 
and the other to the Pacific. There was no Japanese target priority, he argues in his own book on the flight of the Enola Gay. All our early planning assumed that we would make almost simultaneous bomb drops on Germany and Japan. Where were the dead victims of the Nagasaki blast that Tibbets failed to see on his visit to the city? Where were the wounded? The dead were vaporized or already in their final resting place. The wounded were packed into emergency centers, like the one run by Dr. Takashi Nagai, a professor of radiology at the medical school of the University of Nagasaki. Dr. Nagai had been swept into the air and injured by the atomic blast. His house was buried and his wife killed.